Hi there, this is Dr. Regan joining you for an episode of Autism in the Adult podcast. I'm a neuropsychologist, the founder and director of an autism diagnostic clinic in central Illinois, and the parent of a teen on the spectrum. Today, you are joining me for the first episode in a new series about executive function. And I'm really excited for the series. Since announcing the topic at the end of our last episode, I've received lots of emails from interested listeners. Before we dive into today's episode, though, I want to give a shout out to the clinicians and professionals who may be listening. I'm currently developing a master class with the continuing education platform called ZUR, Z-U-R Institute. This offering is unique for several reasons. One is the format. There will be four two-hour webinars, one in each of September, October, November, and December of 2023. And the first hour will be education, while the second full hour will be reserved for discussion, question and answer, and interaction with you about clinical questions and practice issues related to the topic for that day. Another unique feature of this offering will be the focus on advanced topics. So click on the link in the show notes to read more about the topics and how to sign up. If you are a clinician wanting beginner or intermediate courses, check out my other offerings on Zur or at my website, which is also linked through the show notes. All right, let's talk about executive function. I'll warn you that today's episode will require some executive function to get through, and I've spent a lot of time trying to make sure that I'm linking all of the themes together. So with that in mind, I want to start off with just a general definition of executive function. Later, In our talks, we will cover a more precise and descriptive definition, including sub-elements and what we might call those. So executive function refers to a set of brain-based abilities related to the functioning of the pathways connecting the center and the front of the brain. And the reason for the name executive functioning is that executive is defined as having the power to put plans and actions into effect. So a CEO, for example, is the chief executive officer of a business company and is in charge of directing the tiers of the company, the regional officers, managers, direct workers, directing all the pieces to work together toward the same goal. So these pathways of the brain help the parts of the brain work together to achieve a goal. Another image that I like is the symphony conductor, directing all the instruments in the orchestra, even if all the instruments are performing perfectly. If there's no conductor, there's no unified sound with melody and movement and the synchrony of sound. So the sounds don't come together to create a moving and meaningful piece of music without the conductor. So executive function is like 
the symphony conductor, it should bring all of the working parts of the brain together to perform so that something meaningful happens. As I said, executive function is a set of brain skills. It's not one skill. And as we understand what the center of the brain, the subcortical areas of the brain, and the connections through the center with the front of the brain, the frontal lobes, when we understand what these areas are in charge of, we refer to those set of abilities as executive function. So these executive function abilities hang together anatomically in the brain. So through that subcortical frontal system. So the number one point is that executive function refers to a series of skills, not one skill. And these skills are linked with anatomy, with the subcortical frontal systems of the brain, and the skills help the brain produce a meaningful synchronous um, behavior or, or product. Now let's talk about the diagnosis of ADD and ADHD. And just for simplicity's sake, from now on, I'll really just refer to these as ADD, but I'm referring to both diagnoses. This diagnosis was introduced in the Diagnostic Manual, the DSM-3, in 1980. It was important because it described a developmental neurologic condition of executive function. So executive function was not a new concept, but the diagnosis of ADD was the one that captured this developmental piece. So here we have a diagnosis then that we can use to describe a difficulty that an individual has based on their developmental wiring, the way that the brain system has developed, the way they're wired, and the executive function areas of the brain don't finish their anatomic development until about the age of 20 or 21. So anatomically, executive function is still developing until about that age. So the number two point is that ADD was a notable addition to the Diagnostic Manual in 1980 because it represents a diagnosis for executive function difficulties that are developmental in nature. Now, I want to talk about the relationship between executive function and ADD. Executive function is not specific to ADD or ADHD. So the difficulties in that domain, they're not specific to this diagnosis we're discussing. Executive function is one of the most sensitive brain functions to any kind of stress, whether that is physical or psychological. One of the first things to show difficulty is going to be executive function. It's often the first thing to become difficult and the last thing to resolve or heal after some type of challenge. For example, if an 80-year-old has a bladder infection, what's probably the most sensitive 
cognitive function that's going to be disrupted first, executive function. And if someone is recovering from a traumatic brain injury and they've gone through rehab and it's two or three months after, what's probably the residual problem that's still kind of healing up? Well, that would be executive function as well. So there may be developmental differences in executive function, and that's what we discussed when we talked about the diagnosis of ADD. There can also be acquired differences in executive function. This would include differences after, as we said, a traumatic brain injury, a stroke, within the context of a dementia, acquired meaning that this is not developmental, it's something that has occurred in the course of the lifespan. Executive function difficulties can occur with acute or chronic medical problems. So an acute medical issue would be like an infection, for example. This is something that comes and then it goes. It's acute, it's new, it kind of can hit kind of hard and then heal up and go. Or executive function can be disrupted due to chronic medical problems. So someone with kidney failure, for example, who's on dialysis, what's the most likely thing they're going to have some difficulties with in the cognitive domain? Well, that would be executive function. Someone with sugar fluctuations in the context of diabetes, someone with metabolic differences like their sodium is too low, these can also cause a disruption in someone's executive function system. Even differences in the load that the person is carrying with regard to stress, emotional pain, trauma, lack of sleep, and even just having too much on our schedule. These examples of things don't change the anatomy of the brain and how the parts of the brain are working, but it really does interfere with our access to using our full capacity, our full anatomic biologic capacity for executive function. So if we've had trauma, you know, our brain may just go offline if we dissociate. And even though our anatomy is working well, to produce this executive function, we may experience a psychological process that takes us offline. In addition, even with normal aging, what's the first thing to start to show difficulty? Yes, it's executive function. And if you are aging really well, you're you're really aging nicely, you don't have any additional medical issues, you haven't had an injury, Um, the first thing you're going to start to notice is some problem in the area of executive function. That's just the aging process and how it impacts that subcortical frontal system. So you may walk into a room and you can't remember why, or you have this tip of the tongue phenomenon where you know what you want to say, but you can't get it out. That's executive function. You may have to think more slowly or take in less information at a time. So all individuals are likely to experience executive function difficulty in these contexts. So consider this comparison. Executive function is similar to fatigue, for example, in that it's a nonspecific, 
a feature of many different kinds of conditions. So if someone has fatigue, there would be hundreds, thousands of conditions that could produce fatigue. Anything from lack of sleep to infection, autoimmune conditions, and so many more things. Similarly, executive function difficulty can be caused by so, so many conditions and situations. Trauma, aging, ADD, autoimmune conditions, delirium, autism, and many, many more. So the third point we've uh, really focused on here so far is that executive function is not specific to ADD. So many, many things can trigger this executive function problem. Therefore, if someone presents with executive function difficulty, so I'm having a hard time paying attention, I just can't take in information very well, I can't organize myself, well, the clinician should consider differentials in the diagnostic process. Because so many things can present with those features, there should be this process of taking into account What is this person's age? What is their recent life experience? What are their medical issues? When did the executive function issue start? But executive function difficulty does not automatically mean ADD. It does not equal ADD. It's not equivalent to ADD. So we would consider a handful of things that could cause executive function problems in this person and then would perform an evaluation to see what the most likely contributors are in this case. So let's go over our first three points. Executive function refers to a series of skills, not one skill. And these skills are linked anatomically within the same pathways, these subcortical frontal system pathways. And they also work together to provide some meaningful and organized output from the brain. The second point is that ADD was added to the diagnostic manual in 1980 to describe developmental executive function differences. And that was really helpful to have a diagnosis for developmental differences in executive function. The third point is that executive function is not specific to ADD. Many, many things can trigger executive function difficulty. And so we would never want to hear executive function difficulty and then translate that automatically into ADD. So we talked about how executive function refers to a series of skills. There's not a unanimous consensus about what constitutes all these subparts, how to number them and what to call them, but many conceptualizations may refer to about 12 to 15 components, give or take. These often include things like organization, sequencing, processing speed, prioritizing, planning, task initiation, sustained attention, goal-directed persistence, impulse control, time management, generation of ideas, working memory, flexibility, and emotional regulation. So it's not important for you to know what those mean, 
but I want you to get the sense that there are these multiple components, and we'll look at each of these later in our series, but for now, wow, executive function is a broad category. ADD, which as we said, describes a condition of developmental executive function difficulty, includes four areas as I would um, describe them. So someone may say, oh, I think it's more like five. Uh, So it doesn't matter, but it's a small subset. We've got attention, organization, goal-directed persistence, and impulse control. The diagnostic criteria for ADD only describe four areas of executive function, even though our current understanding is that there are probably more like 12 to 15 components. So you can see that someone could have significant difficulty with executive function developmentally and not meet the criteria for ADD because these four specific areas included may not be the ones that are causing this problem, uh, this person's individual difficulty. I also want you to know that every single person, regardless of developmental neurology, health, background, all humans will have a pattern of executive function strengths and weaknesses. That's the normal way of our neurology. So out of those 12 to 15 subsets of skills, you can kind of imagine this graph across all of these different points. And sometimes we'll have ups and downs there that um, can help inform us what we struggle with and what we're really finding easy. So a person who's really good in the areas of generating ideas and flexibility, this person might be called creative. All these ideas, they're very flexible, they go from here to there, but they may struggle with other areas of executive function. They may be impulsive have difficulty with time management, organization. So everybody has their own pattern within executive function. So let's go back. Here we are setting up a discussion of the relationship between executive function and ADD. And one of the difficulties we currently have is that our understanding of executive function has evolved since 1980 but we have a diagnosis that covers only a small subset of how we currently conceptualize executive function. This creates difficulty in that someone may clearly have developmental executive function problems but not fit into the box of the ADD diagnostic criteria. Now, Let's compare ADD and autism. Everyone on the autism spectrum will have executive function difficulty in some form or pattern. That's because of the neurology of autism. The term executive function is not specifically used in the autism criteria, but many of the criteria describe behavioral patterns that tap into that neurology and that reflect difficulty 
in executive function and that subcortical frontal system. So autism has this executive function component plus many non-executive function elements as well. So ADD is a diagnosis of four or so elements of executive function. Autism is a diagnosis that includes elements of executive function and elements outside of executive function. The diagnostic manual indicates that the diagnosis of ADD cannot be made if another diagnosis better accounts for the client's whole presentation. The diagnostic manual says about autism that ADD can also be diagnosed along with autism when attentional difficulties or hyperactivity exceeds that typically seen in autism. So let's regroup. Executive function difficulties occur secondary to so many developmental, physical, and psychological states. And ADD and autism are two developmental diagnoses that include executive function difficulty. ADD includes about four elements of the 12 to 15 sub-elements of executive function that we generally think of. And autism includes some pattern of executive function difficulty across elements and also has non-executive function parts of the criteria. What should happen is that an individual presenting with developmental executive function difficulty would see a clinician who develops an appropriate differential. That is, the person has developmental executive function difficulty, but that's not specific to ADD. So let's consider other developmental conditions like autism and also Let's consider other relevant information like the trauma history, medical conditions, intellectual abilities, learning disabilities, language processing ability, and let's figure out what the basis of this executive function problem is. But what actually happens is that a teacher, doctor, or clinician says, oh, this person has developmental executive function difficulty, therefore, we're going to diagnose them with ADD. Then years later, they come to see a professional who does an evaluation and says, well, this person does have executive function problems, but the root of their attention problem is that they have an intellectual disability and nobody's ever checked or they can't process language well, and so of course they can't attend in the classroom, or they have a learning disability, so they can't attend if they can't understand what they're learning. Some of these individuals have executive function difficulty because they've been on the autism spectrum all along, but autism was never included in the differential process, so they've never been assessed for autism. 
It's kind of like hearing that someone has difficulty with fatigue and then assigning a diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome without thinking through any differential. Now, not everyone with fatigue is best served by a diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome, and not everyone with executive function difficulty is best described by a diagnosis of ADD. ADD should be given if another diagnosis or condition does not more fully explain the full constellation of characteristics. So even if the individual meets all the criteria for difficulty in those four subskills, the diagnosis is not made if this executive function difficulty is better explained by autism or intellectual disability or learning disability, et cetera. So the question in the case of ADD diagnosis shouldn't just be, are the criteria met, but are the criteria met and is this the diagnosis that best explains the whole presentation for this student or client or patient? In autism, executive function difficulties for one individual may include maybe two of those four subskills that are in our definition of ADD and maybe three other executive function skills. They still have autism. They still have executive function difficulty, as we would expect, but perhaps they're less likely to have a pairing of an ADD diagnosis. Another person on the autism spectrum may have all four of those difficulties in the ADD category and maybe a couple that aren't. And so they get these two diagnoses, autism and ADD. However, if the executive function difficulty is not excessive for what we expect to see in autism, they shouldn't have that diagnosis, that second one. It's redundant. It's repetitive. So then, do we take away the ADD diagnosis once someone has a diagnosis of autism and it's not excessive? Well, we could if we wanted to be precise. This is really what the manual talks about as making the most sense. However, practically speaking, this gets difficult. So one reason is that people don't understand the context of this ADD diagnosis and what it means and what it doesn't mean. And many times after I see a, a client for an autism evaluation, I'll tell them their diagnosis is autism spectrum disorder, and then they will ask, did you also check for ADD? I think I have that too. And so it's a difficult thing to just answer with a couple sentences, as you can see, do they have executive function difficulty? Absolutely. Do they have executive function difficulty that fits into that four subset category that we have as our diagnosis for ADD? Possibly yes or possibly no, depending on the case. And does the executive function difficulty exceed what is generally seen in autism? Really infrequently, honestly. I have made both diagnoses, but I don't frequently see the executive function as really standing out higher than, 
you know, the group of people that I see. So conceptually to me, it makes no actual sense to talk about autism with and without ADD. In fact, at this stage in our understanding of the nervous system, it doesn't make sense to talk about a diagnosis that is ADD that only includes four or so subsets of the executive function skills. I would propose that it would make more sense to just have a diagnosis that says executive function disorder, and then you could say comma developmental or comma acquired. Or perhaps you could list the pattern, like for this person, these are the strengths and these are the difficulties. It would be nice to increase the understanding that saying the diagnosis of autism automatically communicates that there are executive function difficulties present. That's not really our reality right now, though. So even though that makes the most sense to me as a neuropsychologist, one of the practical difficulties, aside from people not understanding the terms, is that if we take away the ADD diagnosis for an autistic client, the individual can't get their attention medication, even if it has helped their executive function difficulty within the autism spectrum. Now, the medication is often not as effective on the spectrum as off the spectrum, but if someone has been helped by it, there's no reason to take it away because you know, just because that ADD doesn't entirely fit. So practically speaking, they're going to end up keeping that diagnosis because they understand what it means uh, and they don't understand what not having it means. And also they need medication or benefit from medication that requires that diagnosis. The other thing that's really a caution that I'd like you to think about I really advise a lot of caution when reading things and listening to people speak about ADD and ADHD because we'll start to hear things, um, you know, people will say, well, you know what's really common for people with ADD? It's common that they become hyper-focused or it's common that they have difficulty with social interactions or it's common that they have sensory processing difficulties. The, the problem with these statements is that the individuals who have received diagnoses of ADD often receive this just because they've had executive function difficulty, but they haven't had much, if any, differential assessment. So we don't know if it's really true that individuals with a pure ADD often have these coexisting features. Because what makes a lot of sense is that within the ADD population, there's some subset of autistic individuals who say, I have ADD and I notice that I also have trouble reading social cues. Well, the difficulty reading social cues then becomes a, quote, common feature, end quote, associated with ADD, but we don't know. Does this person have autism? Have they been assessed? And, 
And if so, if we get this group of just really pure ADD diagnoses and nothing else explains those features better, I would love to know what kind of is associated with that. But at this point, we really don't know. The research using people diagnosed with ADD, they don't go through any differential process. They just look and say, oh, you have a diagnosis. Let's put you in the ADD group and study you. So you see why this is a huge problem. It's a very messy group, a mixed group of uh, people who have executive function problems from childhood, but it hasn't really been distinguished as to whether other contributors to executive function difficulty may have actually been there rather than just a pure developmental uh, difficulty within these four categories or subtypes, uh, subsets within that executive function definition. So that was a long meandering explanation, but really important. And I'm glad you followed me through those twists and turns. What do I want you to walk away with? Let me recap again. Executive function refers to a series of skills, not one skill, that are linked anatomically. They hang together in the subcortical frontal systems of the brain, and they work together to help us make a cohesive and meaningful product. ADD was added to the Diagnostic Manual in 1980 to describe developmental executive function differences, and that was really a good advancement at the time. Executive function is not specific to ADD, and many, many things can trigger executive function difficulty. So we would never want to hear oh, executive function difficulty, and translate that automatically into ADD. This is where the differential diagnostic process should come in. Someone presenting with executive function difficulty, then we would say, well, what conditions that could produce this kind of difficulty may present in the specific student, client, or patient, and what would be most likely? Do they have a medical condition? Has someone looked for an intellectual disability, auditory processing problems, learning disability? You know, perhaps um, an older individual presents with concerns that they have ADD, and yet they have some medical issues, normal aging, some trauma. So what has the differential been? Has there been a differential? What often happens instead is that, especially during childhood, adolescence, and young adulthood, someone presents with executive function difficulty and they're given a diagnosis of ADD without ruling out autism or other possible contributors to the inattention and other features. This leads to personal stories and articles and research studies about common features in ADD that are actually describing features in this huge mix of individuals with a variety of factors impacting their executive function, rather than a research study with a group of people who have features specific to our definition of ADD and do not have other diagnostic conditions like autism. 
To me, it rarely makes sense to describe both ADD and autism. Usually the ADD diagnosis is describing these four subskills of executive function when actually there are more like 12 to 15 and they're describing it in autism where executive function difficulty is always present in some form. And the diagnostic manual says that ADD should only be diagnosed when it's the diagnosis that explains the features the best. You don't diagnose it just because the criteria are met. You diagnose it if the criteria are met and other things are not better explanations. I rarely see executive function difficulties in clients that extend beyond what I would expect for the autism profile. I have seen it, certainly, and I have diagnosed it. But by definition, if it's more than you'd expect, it's, it's not going to be common. To me, it makes sense to talk about executive function as including a series of sub-abilities, of which we can look at patterns of strengths and weaknesses in everyone, including those on the spectrum. But for now, we have this tiny subset of executive function characteristics in the DSM-5 called ADD that I would suggest should be expanded to reflect all of the executive function characteristics with with specifiers like developmental. Thank you for listening to the recap. Thank you for going on this pathway of information with me today about executive function, ADD, and autism. In future episodes, we will break down some of the subsets of executive function and talk more about those. My favorite book series on executive function is the Smart But Scattered series which I will link in the show notes. Now, there are many, many good books and resources on executive function, and I certainly have not read or reviewed them all. You are encouraged to use the resources that best meet your needs. So look for the link for the Smart But Scattered if you don't already have a series that meets your need. I do want to say that I don't get any financial compensation for recommending any of the resources that I list for you in my podcast episodes. These are just recommendations from things that have helped me in the past. I hope you have a great few weeks, and I look forward to you joining me for our next episode on executive function.